The material in this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should not rely on this information to make any medical-related decisions. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a doctor-patient relationship, and nothing should be taken as specific medical advice for any given person. I hope you enjoy Marked Medicine. Hey, Mark. I have a question. Okay. How many times do you think I've asked you that question? Do numbers go that high? I doubt it. And from that concept, the idea of marked medicine was born with Dr. Mark Brulte. And with Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner. And you're now listening to Marked Medicine. Hello and welcome to this episode of Marked Medicine. I'll tell you, we are really lucky today. I feel like we have a rock star in the house. Um, we have a person here that's a very important and integral part of Coffee County Healthcare for many, many years, and probably more importantly this year. He has been the voice of the Trojans as the radio announcer for Coffee High School Trojan football for a lot of years now. And this year, Coffee High won their first uh, uh, state football championship, 5A, against Creekside, 31 to 17 on December 13th. And we have Mr. Gene Wade here, the voice of the Trojans, to relive some of this history with us. How are you doing today? Fine. Great to be here, and it's always a great thing to see you, and of course, Amanda as well, as I've always admired you as a physician. I tell a lot of people he's the greatest one I've ever met. Well, I don't know about all that, but I appreciate the compliment. But, you know, I'd like to go into some of your radio background first. As a boy, there's a rumor floating around that you built a radio station. Yeah, I had a next-door neighbor that when I was growing up as a boy over in the east side of Douglas, he was the engineer at the local radio station. It was a daytime station, WDMG, and uh, I'd go talk to him. I was infatuated by radio, and back then there was no TV, and we'd listen to radio stations as far as St. Louis, Missouri, Chicago, Illinois, and, you know, I could hear the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball and the Cubs, and of course, later on, Atlanta, you know, got a team, but I'd talk to him about that and how things, you know, happened in what was AM radio and what was FM radio and so forth. He got where he would give me catalogs that were sent from a company in Chicago that had parts of radio. And uh, one day he said, why don't you build your own radio station? And I said, how would I do that? And I was mowing yards and collecting coat hangers to sell to the uh, laundry. And then, of course, I collected newspapers over the weekend, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, sold to Dismuke Fish Market to make money. And my family didn't have very much. And uh, he said, well, how much money you got? And I told him, I said, I got $124. He said, that's plenty. So he got me and got the catalog. And uh, my next door neighbor was Roy Moore. His father was John Moore and his mother was Maxine Moore. She was a Winters from West Green. And she ran the rec department for years here where kids went to dance. And he helped me. And then Jerry Lott, his daddy was Gerald Lott. And they had the old Jitney Jungle Food Store downtown. And we all chipped in and Added up to about 250. And uh, Mr. Toombs said, I'm going to go ahead and order this stuff for you, and it'll come in probably in a week or two. And it came in, and what it was was a little kit that you put together and a radio station. And he said, uh, do you have a place? And I said, yeah, behind our house there's a garage that nobody uses and a room apparently where some kids slept at one time. And he said, you could put the studio in there. And uh, anyway, he showed us how to kind of put it together and everything, and we got everything ready, and there was a doctor here in town, Dr. Matthew, who was a chiropractor, and he had bought a tape recorder, and he didn't like it. It was one of those big old reel-to-reels, and he wanted something smaller, 
and he gave it to us. He heard about us building the station, and the antenna was going to be the problem. And what uh, Mr. Toombs come up with was take a reed pole, a fishing pole, wrap it with tin foil, and then wrap the bare wire around it. And we put it up on a clothesline post, believe it or not, and it was about 20 feet in the air, and that was our antenna. We could cover about half of Douglas, and when DMG went off at sunset, that was a rule. They'd come in at sunrise and go at sunset. When they went off there, we turned ours on. It was the same frequency. And people could listen all over town, and uh, Ms. Moore would give us records that she got at the rec center to play for the dances. We played everything from Frank Sinatra, and then, of course, Elvis came on the scene a little bit later on. Every night we did sports. We would go to Eastside Park and Wheeler Park and take that tape recorder and record Little League games. And then I got word from Coach Mixon. He was a junior high coach. I could come tape record to middle school, you know, basketball games. I started doing that. And that's where I just fell in love with it. And uh, after I got out of school and came back home, I started doing it full time. And uh, I just have enjoyed it ever since. And I do it mainly for one reason. That's to get publicity for children playing. and it's not only for the band and the football players and cheerleaders, because the one thing I like about that, they're at practice every day under supervision of adults, not getting in trouble at home. And then the other thing is I do it like for people that are blind or handicapped or, you know, hospital workers. They can't go to the ball game on Friday night. You know, thankfully we have the ambulance crew there, but I do it for people like that. And I've always just loved it. And particularly when people comment on it, it makes me feel even better, you know, for the kids. Well, it's funny you say that because Mark's shift usually ends at 7 p.m. And so, I mean, we have listened to many of a Coffee High Trojan football games with mm. you over the years. So what year did you start announcing Trojan uh, high foot, uh, the high school football game? I actually started over in Fitzgerald and Osceola in 1961. And then I took a little break to go to pharmacy school. My father-in-law taught me into doing that. And I was the engineer at DMG. And they had several radio stations, Tifton, Tallahassee, and so forth. But I went back to pharmacy school and finished up and then came home. And two or three years after that, Roy Jones asked me to come back and start doing it again. And I came back, I think, in 76 when Greg Walker and him were playing. And uh, been doing it ever since. Wow. So that's... Gosh, 58 years altogether. Yeah, quite, quite some yeah. time. And you've... Any particular I know there's probably lots but any particular game or moment or anything that stands out in your radio announcing of them that, that well, was just super exciting for you I've had the pleasure of doing a state basketball championship team that my daughter played on Lou Sims Betty Edmonds and them in 1980 they won the state title and then my son played baseball and football Todd Wade and they won three state baseball championships and this is the first football and ironic about it is, I went to the first class at Coffee High School in 1955. To be honest with you, I went out there five years because the eighth grade was moved out there and the construction company went bankrupt that was building it. And they had the automotive shops and the ag shops and each one had a classroom. So they bust the eighth graders out there. So I actually went to high school five years, but people say, you're kind of dumb, aren't you? <laughs> but uh, ever since then, we've dreamed of a state championship 68 years ago. And finally, this happened and. This has to be the greatest game. I was just telling Coach Coe, it has to be the greatest. It, it was exciting to listen to. We certainly listened to you. And I know that your grandson played quarterback and was – He carried us to the state in 2017. And unfortunately, we were – I was 17 miles from Atlanta. And we got a phone call. The game had been snowed out. Well, we went on downtown. I had never been in the Dome. I'd never been at Turner Field, never been in the Bins because I said, I won't go until coffee takes me. They canceled the game. 
And Leslie was there. He had gone to the Falcon game the night before. We had to pick him up and bring him home. And it never snowed a drop. We ended up playing the game at the home of Lee County, and they beat us, you know, in overtime. Right. We found out later on the goalpost had been bent the night before, eight inches. And that's the goalpost our kicker hit. You're kidding me. Yes. I never heard that part before. Never heard that part. But Wade got to call this game with you, right? Wade's helping me now do it, and Leslie's been with me 30 or 40 years. You know, he went to Georgia, too, and just came back and wanted to help out. It's really exciting. I mean, exciting history and a lot of history. And, uh, you know, you touched on one of the questions that I had written down about how have you seen sports and and particularly regimented sports that are associated with schools and things like that? How do you see it impact youth as they are uh, growing up and the the positive things it does for kids growing up? And how does it change the directions of the lives of some of the lives of these kids that you've seen? Well, I mentioned, you know, they're at practice every day under supervision, whether in the band or cheerleading or basketball, track, tennis, football, whatever it is. And they're not getting in trouble. And, you know, in today's society, both mother and father work, whereas old timey days, you know, just the dad worked and the mom stayed at home, looked after the kids. But that's. One of the main things I've seen that's had changed, you know, in today's society when I grew up compared to what it is now. And then I see kids that get a chance to go to college or to a trade school after they've, you know, because people don't realize this. There's a state law in the state of Georgia that if you don't pass, you know, make C's, B's, or A's, you don't get to play sports. And people don't realize that. But other kids, see, can make F's and stay in school, but an athlete cannot play unless they are passing every semester. And that's, that's one of the good things I see about it. And then the kids we got on this football team, now I don't know if you all know Coach Cohen and his wife or not, but they're very, very religious people. And I've did quite a few interviews over my lifetime, and I've interviewed a bunch of these kids that he has under him the last two years. And then, of course, I've been doing it a long time. And I've gone back and got some of the older guys, and I just talked to one a while ago at the Booster Club meeting, and he was telling me he's got a son playing, and, I remember when his daddy played, and now the fun thing about it is to me that I'm meeting sons, grandsons, and great-grandsons whose fathers I knew and all the game when they played it in. But uh, the big thing I've enjoyed most of all is watching Coach Coe come in here and transform the atmosphere. Coach Pruitt laid a great groundwork, you know, that got the facilities in good shape. But Coach Coe has come in, and I've asked a question to these players. You know, what's the main thing that stands out? And they tell me that this is the first coaching staff that's ever told them when they hug their neck, I love you. And I've gone to some of the daddies, granddaddies down the road to some of the previous coaches, and not a single one of them have said that. And that's the one thing that stands out to me, that this it's a family atmosphere. And a lot of these kids, 20 or something of them are honor graduates. Amazing. And then the teachers, they put out a program over at the school where the teachers judge the kids in the classroom. And Coach Coe has a reward. They put a sticker on their helmet if they behave in class and so forth. And you should see the amount of teachers that brag on the kids. They open the door. They pick up pencils that girls drop on the floor and stuff. And that, that's, that's what life's all about. And that's what we teach our children. And a lot of kids aren't getting taught at home, believe it or not. It's sad. That's right. And, you know, I've actually not met Coach Coe yet. I know he's been kind of busy since he moved here, but his wife actually taught our youngest daughter their first year that they were here. Yes. And, I mean, even she was very loving, and Erilyn still loves her and has talks about her very fondly even now. And that was their first year here, and I'm sure they had a lot going on that right. we may never know about adjusting, but that was a great year for us. So you've watched 
coffee sports actually change young lives and they become successful people, go to school, get jobs and things like that. And, you know, they asked me to speak in church Sunday and I told him there's an old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And it does. And this is an example of it. The community has come together and they formed a group that my wife and him formed years ago called the Motivated Moms. And they go out there and cook every day. And we found out a lot of these kids, uh, when we consolidated Broxton Nichols and Coffee, I was on a committee and we had to find where every person in this county lived, whether they were homeless or not. We found 11 children homeless and some of them sleeping in dumpsters. And uh, some of them, did, they get to go home at night, there's nothing to eat. On the weekends, they have nothing to eat. Well, Coach Pruitt started this and now Coach Coe's gone forward with it. You know, we're going to make sure every one of them eats. So we got, you know, the dedicated dads, they cook, the motivated moms cooked, and then we got a couple of businesses here in town that furnish food. And I think that thing there has changed, you know, the atmosphere of what school's all about. It shows the coaches care. They're not there just to get the big paycheck and, you know, win ball games. Right. It, I, I read an article where Coach Coe said that he wanted the team to break bread together as much as possible and eat like a family and become a family. He really thought that that would help lead to success. That, so really just a very impressive coaching staff that we have very. And, and impressive results, obviously, this year. It was a very exciting time. A little bit, let's back up a little bit to, to your history. You, I know you were quarterback and catcher at Coffee County. <laughs> uh, tell, tell me a little bit about your sports and high school history and things like that. Well, I came up and uh, there's a guy named Bud Sims. He's Neil Sims' brother, and he and – Neil both played football, and I'd walk about eight or ten blocks to town and watch them practice the old Douglas High School football team. And Neil was a fullback, and Bud was a quarterback, and Bud became kind of my idol. I said, I want to be just like him one day. And one of the coaches went to church with us in Van Davis, and he told me, he said, this is what you need to do in your spare time, you know, learning to throw the football. So I'd get out in the neighborhood over there on Sly and Jefferson and throw the ball, and I got where I could throw it pretty good. I got to high school, and one of the coaches told me, you're too little. And I weighed about 140 pounds back then, and I said, well, what can I do? And he said, eat peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> well, that was good to a certain extent, but I've had 35 kidney stones in my lifetime. Oh. <laughs> and I just had four operations last year, and it was about 2.7 centimeters, and they said something to do with that peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but that's I, my problem. I got to play, and I was fortunate enough, Bobby Bowden came here. It was his first coaching job at South Georgia College. And he came over my senior year, and we'd had a pretty good you know, season that year. And he offered five or six of us scholarships to come to South Georgia to play. And I went through spring practice, and everything was fine. And about the end of May, the president of the college notified everybody that the football conference in Georgia was being you know, dissolved because nobody wanted to play South Georgia anymore because Bowden was beating everybody. And I went to Texas to Stephen F. Austin and rode the bench out there, and I finally came home because my old high school offensive coach, Bob Johnson, went to South Georgia to coach baseball, and he asked me to come play baseball, and I came back and played baseball. And then I went to engineering school to be, you know, an engineer in radio, and then later on I went to pharmacy school. And when did you finish engineering school? What year was that? Ooh, back 1960, middle 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went to pharmacy school after that. Went to pharmacy school about 68, 69, 70. And that was at? University of Georgia. Yep. That was fun. 
right? It Hard was. school, but fun times. <laughs> <laughs> and um, after that, you moved back to Douglas. And yeah, I married uh, Jane McRae. Her father owned McRae's Pharmacy. And uh, short story on that: he was from McRae, Georgia, and their family founded McRae. And he and a fellow named Elton Brooks, Don Brooks's father, they were both working for their brothers, respectively, in the auto parts and the pharmacy business. And they said, "Hey, wait a minute." You know, our brothers are doing everything, going to the beach and everything, and we're working. Why don't we go to Douglas, that new town over there that's growing? And there wasn't a bridge up there then. It was a ferry boat. And Elton and T came to Douglas and started Brooks Auto Parts and McRae's Pharmacy. And you know the story. But he's the one that taught me into going. And I kind of hesitated. And one Wednesday afternoon, he had glaucoma real bad, and he asked me to drive him to McRae. And his mother was still alive, and she was 100. And she was a fussel, believe it or not. And my wife's getting to all the fussels around here. But uh, she put me in the bedroom and said, all y'all leave, and they all walked out. And she grabbed me by the arm. <laughs> I thought she was going to break it. <laughs> she said, you're going to pharmacy school. and She's the one that really convinced me to go, and I'm glad that she did. It worked out real good. And so McRae started in 1938. 1938, Dr. And then McRae. you went to pharmacy school, yep. and you came back here in the early 70s. Uh, 71. That's when I started you know, full-time work. And I'm not sure that Mark actually knows the story of the bridge that was built, you know, and, and it's J.H. Milholland Memorial Bridge. Yes, really. The big know, bridge the, goes across the Oatmuggy River. It was a big steel bridge like, I guess you see out west, where you know, like a tunnel you go in to go across it, but it was a Milholland Bridge. Which is... Isn't that something? Your people. My great-granddaddy, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. J.H. Milholland, and I was always told the J doesn't stand for anything, so... He just liked it. <laughs> well, and you've seen, and so you participated in Coffee County Healthcare for a number of decades. Sold the store years. in 2017 to Andrew and Charity Holt, who have done wonderful things. They've been right. great people. And um, you saw a lot of changes in medicine during that time. Certainly did. Entire classes of drugs invented that did not exist, even when you were in school. And right. Just any any particular changes or things that you watched happen over the years that fascinated you or you saw help people or anything? Well, not only in the drug business, but in you know, in medicine with MRIs and all that coming. X ray was the only thing back then, but you know, it's really evolved and doctors can kind of pinpoint, you know, where the problem is, where back then it was kind of a guessing game. Uh there's twenty six doctors and pharmacists in this family I'm in, and uh, my brother in law, Jane's brother, Dr. Tom McRae, was a, you know, a vascular surgeon. And his son, Little Tom, he's the fourth, named after Dr. McRae at the drugstore. He's a heart transplant surgeon at Vanderbilt. He finished up there at Cleveland Clinic. And over the years, you know, all of us talking at Thanksgiving and stuff like that, we talked about how the involvement of medicine, because back in the old days, you didn't go to medical school but two or three years. And now, what is it, six, eight, ten years? To get a residency and everything. It, it is fascinating. I remember I, I did a year of radiology in my residency, and I remember some of the people talking and saying when they first started coming out with CAT scan machines, CT machines, they postulated that maybe in North America, meaning Canada and, and the continental United States, they would need, I don't remember the exact number, four or six machines. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. these were very early CT machines that took hours and hours to get scans done. And you could actually see brain tumors and things like that that you could right. never see before. And four or six machines to cover the entire continent. And gosh, there's hospitals in South Georgia that have four or six CT machines. You're right. And 
you just instant answers, like you said, that didn't exist 30, 40, 50 years ago. It was a guessing game. You're correct. It's pretty fascinating to have lived through, I'm sure. I had a good friend from Broxton, a Shrouder, and Lauren Shrouder and his son works at the hospital now, and he's over the maintenance. And he was telling me one day about how strong the magnetism was of it. And he said, don't you ever walk in there with a knife in your pocket or something like that. And, and I said, what? And he said, come over here one day. So one Friday I was off, didn't have a game. So I went over and he showed me. And there was a guy in there and he was working for the hospital. And he had forgot and left a screwdriver in his back pocket. Ooh. And when they turned that machine on to do something, it tore his britches about half off. <laughs> it's true. The MRI machines, and I don't, and I'm probably messing up the math, so forgive me, listeners. But the the MRI machines, the 1.5 Tesla magnets, are something like 15,000 times the magnetism of of Earth's pole. Right, is something just mind-boggling. What these scientists and engineers have done with these yep. machines that we use diagnostically. It's it's pretty crazy to see and watch. It really Medicine's is. come a long way, and it's you yeah. know we got a great hospital. People don't realize how good it is. They it's, you know want to go to another visiting hospital around here, and I'm not going to call any names, but I've been in Coffee Regional because I've had all these kidney stones, and my wife who passed recently, you know, she had that cirrhosis, and they take ten or fifteen gallons every ten days, you know, off her abdomen. But we got a great hospital here in Douglas, and some great doctors, and we should be proud of that. We do. You're right. And we were actually at the Rotary Club meeting last week and somebody was saying, you know, like you, I won't call any names, but he was saying that his mama always said, you know, no, we're going to have stuff done right here at the hospital. And I told Mark, I said, what most of the people didn't realize in the room was, you know, that's something a mama would say, because as a mama, why am I going to drive, you know, four hours to take my baby somewhere when I can get it done right here and have, you know, I mean, these doctors have trained it you know, world-class medical schools. It's not like they trained in, you know, Pearson where I went to high school. <laughs> so. Mark, you brought that up. I had a friend years ago, and he had gone fishing, and he was coming home cleaning his fish, and it was, you know, scale fish. He was scaling, and the knife cut him real deep on his left thumb. He went to the emergency room. There had been three or four wrecks that night, and one of them was involving a train, and the hospital emergency room was just full, and he sat there for about 35 or 40 minutes, and he got upset. And his wife was there with him and everything, so she said, come on. And they went to Tifton. They sat four hours over there at Tifton waiting to get it sewed up. He came back and told me later on, I wish I'd have stayed in the emergency room at coffee because the guy sitting next to me told me later on, 10 minutes after I left, they called my name. <laughs> yeah, well, it it is a different world in healthcare today, that's for sure. And there are extended wait times, and there's a lot of things behind that. So we're doing things in the emergency room now that we could only dream of 20 and 30 years ago that it can make the patient visits very long and very intensive and involve a lot of consultation with specialists and people at other facilities and transferring patients and waiting to admit people to the ICU and things like that, that can really eat up a lot of ER time. And it's very, it's cumbersome at times, but it's also amazing what we can do for people. I told him later on, I said, they're taking the worst cases first because those people are in jeopardy of not you know, not being able to survive. And I said, they didn't consider yours that serious. He said, you know, I never thought about that. But he was real apologetic after that. So, Mr. Gene, over 50 years, you've been helping people in Coffee County in a variety of roles. You certainly help people at the pharmacy uh, immensely. I've, I've called you many, many times. <laughs> uh, and you also are on the Board of Education, is my understanding. And there's a long history there of 
basically salvaging the school system and consolidating the high school into one school as opposed to multiple schools in the county. Give us a little bit of that history, why that was important to you, how you think it helps the kids. and Well, back in the old days at that time, we had three high schools. You know, prior to that, coffee, the old coffee high school, they merged five high schools into one, including, you know, West Green and Ambrose and some of them. But we had three left, and the state had sent a letter down here that they were con- going to come down and build two high schools in Coffee County, enlarge the old coffee high school out by the college and build a new one over toward West Green to, you know, suffice to get the kids from Nichols and Roxton in high school. Or we could come up with a plan ourselves. And we met with some other counties around here who was going through the same thing, and they were going to send the bill to us. And we said, hold on, wait a minute. Because we were at 21 mils max, and our next budget was going to be in the 22s, which you can't go above 21 on school tax, you know, the property tax. So we came up with this plan to build one high school, and Mr. Patton, who lives you know, right down the road here across from the high school, he volunteered to let us have the land. It was his farmland, and uh, he wanted to donate it, and bless his heart, they said, you can't do that, so he took the bare minimum, you might say, and we came up with a plan to build Coffee High School, and somebody called us and told us, uh, he asked me to never mention his name, but in the QBE book, it says if you merge two or more schools into one the state of Georgia pays 95% of the construction cost. The Coffee High School was built with no tax increase, no borrowed money or anything. It was paid for the day they moved in, which is kind of unusual. It's only been done once or twice in the state of Georgia, but you had to merge two or more into one school, and that's what we did. And we got to offer kids more of a balanced education. You know, they could go to be a doctor because they were teaching chemistry and calculus and, you know, stuff like that. So... That was one of the main things that, you know, drove us to do it. And that was my next question. It was important because some of the smaller schools that they were consolidating into this larger school, you thought it furthered the education of these children. True. And they could go on to greater educational experience after high school because of the opportunities that were provided to them. Right. So it was very important to you looking into the future and mm-hmm. the people that it would build, and hopefully some of those people come back to Coffee County and right. and apply their trade or their professions or whatever they were trained in to do. I think that was very insightful of you and whomever, uh, whoever else made those decisions. I think that was very wise. Um, I didn't, I went to a very, very small high school and got core, but not really the things like you're talking about. And people don't realize it today, but we got two high schools in Coffee County. We got Coffee High School and then out at South Georgia College, we got the Academy, the Career Academy. And basically what that does, and this comes from the old German, you know, this is what they do over there. When a kid's in eighth grade, they can take a test and they qualify and say they want to be a doctor. Then they can go into the academies at Coffee High School. If they want to be a welder or a truck driver, some of the highest paying jobs in the country, believe it or not, without a college education, they go to Wiregrass, Georgia Tech. We had two kids this past year, one finished in welding he got a job, and it was like $69,000 a year starting salary, and he wasn't even 18 yet. And the other one got a job. Walmart hired him as a diesel mechanic. He got a job almost 70000 a year because he went to the Wiregrass. So we tried to offer that thing, and you got to give a lot of credit to Dr. Lease, you know, forming the academies at Coffee High School. And you can go there, and I, probably you know more about it than I do. If you want to be a PA and you know, or a nurse or something, they got pathways for you to go now. So all the kids in Coffee County have an equal, equal opportunity. 
I'm actually learning a lot about it myself because the academies were just kind of getting going as as our oldest daughter was kind of a junior senior. So we've not really experienced the full academy experience, but we have had some experience with Wiregrass and mm-hmm. the way that not only the opportunities that it can offer, but the way that it's turned some lives around and we have some personal history with that. And so that's that's a great opportunity for students here. So you've 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 watched the sports programs build the character of these kids, the the morality and character and ethics that it instills in them. You're also putting into place a physical plant that allows this to occur, and you're putting in place an educational structure that allows the kids to achieve what they need to achieve in the physical plant with the moral training and the ethics and everything. It's it's really a comprehensive it approach is. to this. It's actually very impressive. Um, it really we is. We just partnered with South Georgia College at our last board meeting to have a counselor come in, and this counselor is going to specialize in one thing, teaching students and their parents how to fill out a form to take the SAT, the ACT, to get into college. We're, we're going forward with that. And, uh, you know, trying to give everybody an equal opportunity. Because, you know, I came from nothing, and I never thought I'd graduate from pharmacy school. But, you know, kids today, I tell them, if you put your mind to it, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Because you can. You know, what don't matter where you come from, it's, you know, where you try to go to. I mean, honestly, the opportunities that Coffee House School offers are incredible. I mean, even, you know, years ago, my grandmother and— she certainly had some children that went to private school because of some health issues and things like that. But she, she would even tell me, you know, she's like, you just, you don't have this, not to say you don't have the opportunities there, but you have different opportunities at Coffee High School. We are lucky for all the things that they can offer and all the AP classes and um, that can set people up for success. You know, Dr. Leach deserves a lot of credit. The graduation rate when I first went on the board back in the 80s was down in the low 60s. And now today it's up around 93, 94 That's graduation really rate. And I'd be remiss not to say, but Francis Lott, we all know him. And he's a Georgia Tech graduate. He's got a foundation, he and his wife, Diane. And most kids we've ever had at Georgia Tech from Coffee High School at one time, like three or four. You know how many is there right now? 18. Wow. That tells you how the academics has come up. And, you know, tech's a hard place to get into. It is. It is. And, yeah, our oldest is actually at Georgia, but she was accepted to Georgia Tech. And, you know, they they take them now on a trip if they want to go. And does he meet them there, I think, maybe? Or or he's involved with it. And then he invites them down to his house at Fernandina, you know. That's right. Keep him in your prayers. He's not doing well physically, but he's a great guy. And he's done a lot for Coffee County. It's really neat. They're building a new facility at the high school also. Can you tell us a little about that? Well, it's uh, what they call the ROTC facility, and we have, believe it or not, the regional ROTC meet, and schools from as far south as middle Florida all over Georgia come to Douglas, and they've been holding it at the auditorium at the middle school, which you'll seat about 2,500, and they take it over there, and they got four squares, and each group gets in one square, and the Defense Department flew down here and said, we need a bigger facility. Is there any possible way you can get five squares? And we were drawing the plans for the ROTC facility, and the architect said, sure, we can do it. So it's going to have five squares. That means that a truckload of more people is going to be coming to Douglas, you know, staying in motels, eating at restaurants and so forth, and, you know, helping the local economy. Plus, they're going to be competing for, you know, national championships. And we 
also going to let everybody use it. The band's going to use it to get out of the hot sun in the summertime because, you know, they practice like the football because football season starts early. Uh, say cross country, softball, baseball. They won't be able to take batting practice, but they can take infield in there. Uh, tennis, soccer, you name it. They all, everybody, Van Allen and uh, Steve White, the athletic director, has gotten together, and everybody's going to get a chance to use that facility. And it was a dream years ago of Mr. J.D. Murray. He wanted the ROTC here, and he said, you know, this would open the doors, and it has. A lot of kids are in ROTC. And, you know, they later go on to make soldiers that guard our great country and give us the freedom that we have today. You know, honestly, I we don't have sons, we have daughters, but I'm one of the biggest football fans I think that there is. I really am, and I hope that this comes out right. But, you know, oftentimes I feel like not our community specifically, but kind of all over feels like, you know, football gets all the attention. And I mean this when I say it. When I listen, you, listen to you on the radio, you know, week after week, you always commend the band and the cheerleaders. I mean, you always do. And I've always made mental note of that. But to hear you sit here and talk about all the other sports and all the things that you've, you know, helped make sure that, like you said, every child has opportunities. It really is. I mean, you're to be commended as well. Well, thank you. It's not me. It's the great citizens of Coffee County raising the children, and they deserve all the credit. Well, you know, in, in the break when we were recording here, you told a little story about some bad weather and a radio announcement, and it's interesting listening to you. You've had this lifetime of helping people, and it's inconceivable to people now listening to this that there was a time when there wasn't television, there wasn't cable there wasn't the internet there wasn't you pick up your little telephone which is basically more powerful than supercomputers were in the 70s and you had instant access to weather and you know but but you were on the radio you know doing weather announcements about incoming storms tell us a little bit about that yeah i worked at wdmg you know when i first got married and i'd worked at a station over in osill and fitzgerald and jane and i decided to you know live here she was going back and forth to Valdosta to get her degree. And uh, I worked weekends to let some of the older guys off who had children. And I'd volunteer to do that. And, you know, looking back now, I probably shouldn't have done that. But I'd work Saturdays and Sundays, and then this storm came through. And it it hit literally Douglas at that time, but not very bad. But it hit some of the towns south of here. And I was every time the machine would print out the news alert from the Weather Bureau at Jacksonville, I'd read it on the radio live, and we were on the air back in those days from 5 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, and I'd, I'd work about all day like that doing that, and it it paid dividends down the road. Uh, Mr. Timms paid for me to go to engineering school and get my radio engineering license, but I enjoy doing stuff like that, and you know, God says in the Bible, if you help somebody, you donate, you're rewarded 10 times over. Let me tell you, that's true. It's not monetarily, but it's, you know, rewards. Just like I'm 82 years old, I'll be 83 in January, and I've lived a good life. And it's because of his blessings on me, but I try to help other people. And that's that's what life's all about. And there's only one heaven up there, and we got to all get along down here to get in up there. <laughs> this is very true. It's, it's so interesting listening to you that you've, you've stumbled across, or you didn't stumble across it, you made this pathway for yourself and everything. It, to me, the only time I see people happy is when they're creating something or achieving something or helping others. That's the only time I see true happiness in humans. I, I don't know what you've seen. 
Mark, you're a doctor and you know, and I, God gave me the ability, and I can sit down and take a sheet like that, it's got a line up on it, and I can memorize it just in a few minutes. And I can tell you the numbers of just about anybody, and most announcers do games by numbers. I do them by names, but you know why? You do. My first partner in radio was blind, Lauren Nobles. And the manager told me, said, Gene said, you got to describe the game. You can't call numbers. you got to say John Doe or Susie Q or something like that. So Lauren can make a comment. He was a color commentator. He graduated Georgia Magnum Cum Laude. Lives at St. Simons. He's about 86, 87. But I learned to do that. And then I got to thinking, you know, if you could describe it where people at home that can't come out here, and that's what I try, I try to say, you know, the flag's flapping at certain amount of speed and we, my grandson on his phone looks up the speed of the wind and and some lady the other day said, Mr. Wade, so why do you talk about the flag and the flapping all the time? I said, well, think about the wind. If you're punting the ball and the wind's blowing in the punter's face, it's not going to go very far. Or if the quarterback throws it and the wind's coming across the field, it's, she said, I never thought about that. And I said, well, you at home, if I didn't say that, you wouldn't even know the wind's blowing. And I try to describe the game like uh, Lauren told me one time, said, Gene, paint a picture. And that's what I try to do. And I may be crazy in doing it, but you are not, I love doing it. You're not. I mean, I think in pictures, Mark does not. I think I have some um, true dyslexic tendencies, actually. And when I listen to you, I mean, I, you paint the picture. I see it. I mean, I really <laughs> do. I, when you said the flag just then, I've heard you say that many times. And I see the flag, you know, flying. And then you talk about the colors of the jerseys and everything that they have on and it's great i love it 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 absolutely paints the picture i would miss that part if you didn't do it i really don't like publicity because i i'm not doing it for me i do it for the kids and uh, we had a guy one night we were doing a playoff game here and jc adams at that time was my color partner and he owned the dairy queen and this guy came to the game at halftime and he was coming down south to build pcc never gonna build another town he he heard us talking about the game and how the players were playing and everything. And we had George Smith. He was the number two recruit in America playing at coffee. And we were talking about him. And he said, I want to see that guy play. And he drove over here. He couldn't believe the crowd, how much they were into it and everything. Because out where he was from, out west, he said that 50 or 60 showed up for a game. But down here, you y'all saw what happened at this bins up there in Atlanta. People turned out from Coffee County. I saw where they said there were just under 5,000 ticket sales, but I know that's not the total number because, you know, there's lots of people that didn't purchase a ticket through that online thing or whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, there was an incredible turnout. The record attendance was 55,000. I mean, we did get that number yesterday from Mr. Hines, but they're going to get the numbers on how many coffee. They think coffee had the most fans of anybody's ever had it for one team. But 47,000 was a record up until this past week, 55,000. They had about 5,000 complimentary passes, you know, for retired teachers, retired coaches that came to the game. And I saw one man that was 91 years old, originally from Coffee County. He was there. Walter Jardine was there in a wheelchair. I, I saw some pictures of him actually yeah. up in the box, right? right. Yeah. Incredible legacy. But people support the kids, and that's what it's all about. And the band was there, and cheerleaders were having a great time. And, you know, you've been around, Mark. Those memories never leave your mind. Never. And the class friends you make in high school, you can make a lot in college, but in high school, they don't never go away out of your mind. Right, they don't. I tell you, it's fascinating talking to you. And it, what's the really neat thing about all this is the interconnection of it all. The interconnection of helping people at the pharmacy, on the radio, doing the radio announcing for the school, being on the school board, 
and how important it is to you to help all these other people in all these different aspects of your life and how it all interconnects and interrelates and the, the you know, the ripple effect. It's really neat. I really appreciate you being here, and I really appreciate what you've done over the last five, six decades <laughs> before I was even in Coffee County. And the things just, that you've done that have helped pave the way for our children's success. I mean, yeah. our, I'll brag on my oldest for a second. She graduated third in her class, and she's up at Georgia now. And, I mean, just the opportunities that she had here at Coffee High School that she wouldn't have had in some other towns that are very close to us. You, too, have given back in the medical profession. We appreciate you, too. Both of you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And it's an honor to be here, to be with you. The The honor is definitely all <laughs> It is. Ours. sure is. Well, thank you for being here, and I appreciate it. And uh, any any more advice you have for the listeners? Just go Trojans and Merry Christmas. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> thank you, sir. Well, Amanda, that was a fascinating walk through Coffee County history, and more importantly, a walk through a lifetime of helping others and the impact that he's had on so many people. Just great guy. Great to listen to. He really is. Honestly, I could sit and talk to him all night. He even talked a little before we were recording about my grandparents and my my granny that I often talk about used to tell bedtime stories on the radio stations, and I enjoyed hearing him talk about those things. I mean, he's one that I could talk to for hours again, and we can learn a lot from him, whether it's medicine or just life stories in general. Fascinating person with a a great history and a a great work ethic and a concern for others. It's just, you know, what we should all strive to be. Absolutely. I don't think that we could have found a better guest to close out 2023 here at Marked Medicine. And I'm, I'm just super appreciative of him doing this with us today. Yep, I'm really glad that the voice of the Trojans got to announce on the radio a state championship win for the Trojans. Absolutely, that's right. So if you're listening, you can find out more about us at markedmedicine.com. You can go there and click on the Ask Dr. Mark tab. If you have any questions that you would like for Mark to answer or if you have a story you'd like to tell, you can submit that information there. Or if you have a guest that you'd like to hear speak on the show, submit, submit all of your information there. You can also follow Mark on social media. And um, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all in 2024.